The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. It's been coming for quite some time. The government has criticised itself as being a laggard when dealing with climate action and climate emergencies. Uh, The Climate Action Plan certainly sets out ambitious targets. Enough renewable energy to power every home and business by 2030. 70% of people in rural Ireland have buses that go three times a day to the nearest town. Half a million homes retrofitted to BERB2. One in three private cars to be electric by 2030. And tillage farming to cover up to 400,000 hectares by 2030 as we try and move farming a little bit away from dairy where it has been uh, pummeling all of its resources for the last couple of years. Eamon Ryan, uh, the Minister for the Environment and Climate Change is with me. Good evening to you, Minister. Good evening. Good to it. There's a lot. There's a lot in here. I'm. I'm going to try and break it down sector by sector if I can. So enough renewable energy to power every home and business in the country by 2030. Sounds great. In the back of my head, we had two companies that wanted to put offshore who left the market here because it was taking too long to get uh, the act together. Um, how confident are you that that is achievable given the amount of red tape and the amount of planning objections that are likely to be submitted to anywhere where a wind farm is put on or offshore? I'm confident we can do it. In the coming days before Christmas, we'll start the first phase, which involves some seven projects, one in the West Coast, six in the East Coast, and they can and will be delivered by 26, 27, and be part of us going to that target of being reliant on our renewable power supplies. In the lifetime of this government, we will go to the second phase, consenting it and getting it through an auction process, which moves further projects in the East Coast, but to the Southeast as well, and also in the second phase of that, moves south and to the West and starts developing floating wind where the real scale opportunity exists, particularly off the West Coast, because there the waters are deeper. You can't do it if you're by having a turbine uh, embedded in the, in the seabed. You do have to do it on a floating basis. We will set this country on this course. We are in a race in many ways with our neighbours in the UK and other neighbouring countries in France, Germany, Belgium, Holland. Everyone is going in this direction because we all realise we have to stop our dependence on imported fossil fuels. We have to switch to our own power. Now, the reason I'm confident is, firstly, we've done it, done it in onshore wind. We're actually one of the countries with the highest level of onshore wind integrated into our system. We're a real leader in terms of how you use that power in a clever way. And we did that in the same way by setting a 10-year target, by actually delivering the planning and the infrastructural okay. needs. We're going we're gonna to have to develop our ports particularly to make sure that we can deploy this. But that then gives us a real opportunity to bring industry to those ports where we bring the power ashore. So I'm confident I, we can and will deliver that. It's, it's a fabulous idea and everybody agrees it's a good idea, but we are behind the curve. The Scottish are already generating power offshore. The Dutch are ahead of us. There is a finite resource in manpower. There's a finite resource in, in deliverables. We are already behind on this. Are you sure we can catch up? I am. I, I, actually, in the last year, I've held the presidency of what's called the North Seas Energy Cooperation Group. It's nine countries. Actually, on, on Sunday night, we just uh, uh, arranged a memorandum of understanding where the UK rejoins. And yes, we will have to do it in a collaborative mechanism because as well as de- developing the power offshore, what we're doing is we're developing new ways to send that power over to other countries, to the UK and to France. We're in the middle of building those interconnectors that will help make economic sense of this whole project. And the truth is, particularly when you get the West Coast and particularly to the Northwest, 
uh, into the deeper Atlantic waters. That's where the power resource is. That's where the actual scale of wind energy, beyond compare, it's the windiest place on the planet. And that's what will steer it here. If we get the right planning conditions in place, and that has to be first and foremost, making sure you protect the environment as you do it. Now, we have advantages over countries because our sea area is seven times our land area. So we can do it. What we can do is designate some areas that are environmentally sensitive for, for protection and other areas where we know we can provide the grid interconnection and we can design this in a way that's truly sustainable. That's and you're, what we're you're confident doing. that can be done quickly? It's not quickly. It will take seven, eight, eight, seven, eight, nine years, but it can be done. And we've shown previously we can do it in onshore. We can now do it in offshore. And also okay. at the same time, what, what can be done quickly is the development of solar power at scale. Even in Ireland, which is not the sunniest place, but actually it complements wind power. You'd often have days, even in the last week, if you look at last week, which was probably the most challenging environment where there was no wind, but still sunny in that very cold period. When we roll out to some five gigawatts of solar power that in the summer could run the entire country, but in the winter, at times when the wind is low, it still gives you power and allows you to get this okay. balancing system, which is the centre of the new industrial revolution. Let's talk about retrofitting 500,000 homes, as I said, to B2. But I'll give you a challenge that's out there uh, from a texter. Um, 26,000 is the quote I got to wrap my house and insulate the attic, which is 10 grand more than the previous quote I got from the same company two years ago. I won't be doing any energy upgrade retrofit here, presumably because the cost has gotten too high. And as a supplemental to that, I was witness to a conversation recently between somebody who went to an event trying to find out how they could take advantage of the various schemes that are out there. And they were told by their local authority you can apply for it all you want but there's no one to be able to do that work for at least two years the queue is that long we're kidding ourselves to think we can get half a million houses done well that that's going to change that local authority needs to change because they have real uh, commitment you're in charge in of that plan. local authority that's what they're telling yeah. somebody it was only a couple of weeks ago yeah, and I'll be, I'm, I'm going around to each local authority around the country saying to them, they have to actually scale up. We've provided them with additional staff resources to meet their obligations in the climate plan. And we're also providing very significant funding to make sure we do deliver on our retrofitting targets. It is true that it's become more expensive. Everything has in the last two years because materials have gone up, because supply chains across the world are more difficult, and because we did have a shortage of labour to be able to do it. But each of those we are starting to tackle on the labour side. And that was how? a real constraint. Tell me how you're going to tackle the labour side, because we do not have the people available to do this. Um, they don't exist. Um, the, if, if there's a throughput coming through third level, I haven't heard about it. So where are we going to find the apprentices, the young people and the skills to retrofit? We have about 8,000 people in apprenticeship schemes at the moment. There's never been more. It's, it's a historic change. We're going back to an apprenticeship model, particularly in some of this construction sector for house building as well as for retrofitting. There are six, well, sorry, five established already. The last six, one which due to go into Finglas shortly, have been set up so that we have short term. And this does not require, you don't necessarily have to do a PhD. You don't have to spend four years in college to be able to part this revolution and change. We are seeing those young people coming in in large numbers and actually the numbers starting to be delivered. It's not easy. It has been difficult to get people, but those mechanisms, those training centres and that apprenticeship system that Simon Harris has set up will give us the numbers we need to start to make this happen. And just going back to your key point about cost, it's true the cost of materials, cost of everything has gone up, but the thing that's gone up most and is unlikely to come down, unfortunately, because there's no sign of this war ending, is the price of the fossil fuel. 
schools. So while it's expensive, and we do have significant grant schemes, for most grants 50%, in some instances up to 80%, and for people at risk of poverty, a risk of fuel poverty, up to 100% grants. So we are providing very significant grants. And But the reality is those high price of gas and oil caused by the war in Ukraine yeah. is going to is going to make the economics of this change. And we're starting to see it happen. We set out a target this year that we would... Are those, grants, are those 20- grants easy to get, Minister? Because I, anyone who's ever tried to apply for any kind of a grant with the SEAI normally comes away with a very big headache uh, that, that doesn't necessarily result in the grants being paid. Well, and I, I'm mm-hmm. accepting your point on, 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 on yeah, the necess- necessity to do this. But it is hard, it is tricky, and it's, it's possibly beyond um, many I, people's I, I, patience. It may, it may have been in the past, but just as I'm saying to local authorities that they have to uh, uh, scale up and make sure they are part of the solution, similar to the SEI, we're giving clear direction and clear support in terms of additional staff for them so that they're able to turn around that grant really quickly and without a huge okay. bureaucratic difficulty. And there are now these one-stop shops where you can go and actually a lot of that difficulty, the grant is arranged and organised and managed by a professional company who can give you, as it were, a wraparound service so that you know that technically what's been done is correct, that the uh-huh. grant is actually fixed in with their pricing scheme, and that's starting to take off, that easier-to-do change. Okay. That's what we need to how do, many, is make it easier for ma- to make how- the change. How many of those all-in-one wraparound uh, grants have been issued? Because I know you came under pressure in the Doyle relatively recently uh, to come up with a number. Um, do you know how many people have, have benefited only, from that? That's only that's only started this year, and it'll take a period of time. We uh, it took a period of time first to to approve the expert companies and so on. So it's in small numbers. It's been several hundred up to I think thousands or so already this year. But that will scale up. And what we're seeing is that the overall demand and overall interest in both retrofitting homes, putting solar panels on the roof, the Irish public are onto this. The Irish public want to do okay. this. They want to play I their yeah, part. Not, yeah, it's I, our job absolutely. to make it easier for them. What, so about a thousand have benefited from the one-stop shop. And as I said, it's growing rapidly. The, the, the order books for next year are full and it will okay. significantly scale up. All right. Um, On to the cars, if we may. Ask the minister how he proposes someone like me, who's on 26 grand a year, how I can upgrade to an electric car. I'm a public sector worker who drives to Dublin from West Wicklow as public transport isn't good enough. Now he's trying to make me pay for parking. What do you say to that listener? Well, firstly, we don't, this is not going to work if it's forcing people. It has to be a better solution. And part of that is providing the public transport services so you don't have to, so that you actually have a cheaper and a more reliable and a more effective alternative. And the likes of West Wicklow and other parts of the country, particularly in rural Ireland, are benefiting from the new, what we're calling, Connecting Ireland Bus Transport Services. And what we're doing is putting in, going back to the very start, you said that target of 70% of people in rural Ireland being being part of this regular route network within walking distance of a regular route network. So that's the first way and the first mechanism to try and make it it work and make it happen. How is that going to to work, though? Because is that a network of new buses that currently don't exist. We know there are local links that exist in some parts of the country that predominantly help older people who may be isolated. Are we going to have a little fleet of buses like the school bus fleet going around picking people up from their gates? I think that local link service is going to change, as you say. It may be, and it's been there for 30 years, doing really important work 
uh, providing a very important social service, but it is being part of this change. What they are doing is bidding in with Bus Air and others for the routes that the National Transport Authority are now putting out there for for for, uh, for the people, and it is they are providing what are often more direct more connected services so you can connect to a local train or other bus station and actually what's happening is all over the country this is starting to be delivered younger people taking the bus because actually it's a cheaper better alternative but are you and telling the me people- that there's got to be buses running up the boardings of the country uh, picking up people and bringing them to their local town so they can abandon their car because that doesn't sound feasible to me that's what's happening across huge swathes of the country started it started in leitrim and kerry uh, last year We've been rolling out services, particularly in Clare, Mayo, Galway, right across the, across the country now. And and they're working. There's been a huge increase in demand. Any time, and people okay. know this to be true, any time we provide good quality public transport, be it in urban areas or rural areas, what we find is Irish people flock to it. They want it. It's not it's not out of kind of you know, necessity or that, oh, I'm going to insist I'm going to drive. It's often the absence of good public transport services okay. are what's help, held us back by investing but people in that, need, by prioritising But people that. living in rural Ireland need their car to get from point A to point B. It isn't feasible that a bus is going to pick them up everywhere. When you then, let's get to parking if we can. The idea mm. that if you if you drive somewhere, you're you're now going to be, say, if you par- drive to your local town to get a bus to another town where you might work, you're going to have to pay for your parking, uh, whereas previously it might have been free. So how do you square that circle? I don't see it disincentivising that. And you're right, a lot of people in rural Ireland do have to use the car. And this cannot work if it's kind of a, if it's a pointing the finger at people, blaming people or, or restricting people. It is about providing better alternatives. But having said that, we it, now this is much more an urban issue in the cities because we do have a problem. As traffic comes back, and if we're all dependent on the car-based transport system, it won't work for anyone. It'll just get gridlocked and also continue emissions really high. Now, we have various alternative solutions to that. Some of the solutions will involve investing in rail-based systems, the likes of Cork Metropolitan Rail, which is happening, the likes of Metropolitan Rail in Limerick, which is happening, never happened before, but it's starting now for us to actually think of those cities, Waterford and Galway the same, as having high-quality rail-based transport systems, not just Dublin. Also, each of those cities and Dublin having bus connects projects, which actually give the bus priority that people need. Now, yeah. the problem with this, this takes a certain amount of time, particularly the rail-based systems, to get through a planning system to get built. What we do need to do in the immediate future is start to providing the priority on the roads for the buses and the incentives for them to make sure it does work. And, and so what, that, well, why that, are you charging people for parking then? That's that's the point that most people, I don't know why this was leaked as the main line yesterday, that you're, you're effectively, you're, you're issuing a fatwa on parking, um, uh, whether that is in well, the Doyle or whether it is uh, local authority parking or whatever the case may be. But well, first, people are being told you can't park uh, for free, first, you're going to have to pay for first, it or you're going to leave the car somewhere else. First, it's not a fat one, anything. This has to be done through local councils and local authorities. So it has to work in a democratic way from the bottom up. But there are large parts of our cities, particularly. When, when you look at a street and look at a road and you think, how are we going to get the bus through? How are we going to make it so that it's really quick and works? Or how are we going to make it safer to walk and cycle so that those solutions are actually part 
of the solution, which they can and will be, as we've seen in other countries like Holland and Denmark and elsewhere. One of the ways you do it is you take some of the space which is currently provided for parking and say, we will use that to help put in a bus lane and make sure that it gets through the traffic and helps okay. the tra- reduce the traffic for everyone. It's uh, just uh, good planning, see, it's good engineering. Uh, uh, it's we see what bus sense. connects look like, yeah, because uh, people didn't ha- exactly take the bus connects when that was tried in Dublin, but I appreciate the point you're making. I'm conscious and you've been very generous with your time. I need to talk about mm-hmm. farming briefly before we finish up. Making family farms, farms more viable, reducing meat emissions from livestock by earlier finishing of beef cattle, improved breeding, improved feeding. You've bottled it on the national herd. This was the big thing that the Green Party said they were going to tackle. And now you're saying, no, it's OK, keep as many cows as you like, lads. No. What the plan says is we're going to engage in diversification away from beef and dairy and do that by providing new incomes and additional incomes from the Irish family farm in forestation, often by people still farming, but actually stitching forestry within an existing farm system by switching to new energy sources, the likes of anaerobic digestion and solar power. Yes, which reduces the herd, but which increases the income to the house, to to the family farm, because that gas is valuable and will get paid for. And that solar power is actually really economic now. Also switching and how are, you going, how are you going to convince the farmers to do this, Minister? Because at the moment they are dependent on beef and on dairy for their income. They were told to do it by previous governments, one of which you might have been a part of in years gone by. How are you going to convince them? You have to have an income from it. You have to make sure, and there will be an income from it. That end, those energy supply and sources are valuable. And farming, this, this technology has been developed in other countries. It's not rocket science. It is actually working in a whole range of other different countries, was held back here because of lack of political commitment to the change we need to make. This will only work if it's a change for the better in agriculture as well as elsewhere. And I'm absolutely convinced that it actually provides a better income from farming. It, it, It provides a real sustainable future for a whole generation of young people to go into forestry and farming. Yes, it will be a smaller herd, but if it's a higher income for the farming sector, that's what critically matters. All right. Eamon Ryan, Minister for the Environment, Climate and Communications. Uh, thank you very much for joining us on The Hard Shoulder. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy. With Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.